0: ...in Galatia are claiming their, and this is what we're going to get to tonight, he's going to get to a little bit, they're claiming that they are from the leaders in Jerusalem. So he's both defending his apostleship, he's telling them, we have the same gospel, and they uh, would never have endorsed what you are doing because we had this discussion. And that's what we get to here. Uh, Verses 6 through 10... Of chapter 2 actually connects the uh, thoughts with verse 2. Remember we talked about that uh, a couple of weeks ago that the the whole little parentheses about Titus uh verses 3 through 5 was a uh, was just that a parentheses. It 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 continued his thought, but it wasn't uh directly connected. Now he's getting back to what he was talking about. And this shows uh, shows us the extreme care and accuracy in this account. He is giving some minute details that normally he wouldn't have even brought up. But because the questions are being answer, uh, being asked in Galatia, or rather the accusations are flying in Galatia, he's making sure I'm telling you every step that I took along the way so that you can't accuse me of anything that you are currently accusing me of. And, and this connection to verse 2 shows that there was a connection between this event, that event in, uh, Jerusalem, talking to, uh, Peter, James, and John, and the Judaizers, those leaders in Galatia. Uh, what he's saying here is the salvation requirements weren't given. Those, those things that the Judaizers in Galatia were requiring, Peter, James, and John did not require so he's blowing their whole well Peter James and John told us this out of the water because that's what they're trying to do they're saying we came from Jerusalem we don't know where Paul got his gospel from the one we're bringing to you came straight from the leaders and you need to follow the mosaic law in order to be a christian so that's what what Paul is destroying right here in chapter in verses 6 through 10 so verse 6 tells he tells the people the folks in Galatia what did not happen this is the negative part of it he says in verse six now from those recognized as important what they weren't where makes no difference to me God does not show favoritism they added nothing to me so what did not happen was them saying well your gospel's a little deficient Paul let me tell you where you need to straighten up let's look at what he says here. He, he, he calls those guys there, those who are appear important. Paul was not afraid to upset people if that was his... if he felt that was needed. He was not afraid to say things that you would... Paul, his wife, it, where he married, would have sat on the front pew and said, and look, giving him the, oh, and this and... Michael, I mean Paul... Uh, that's, that's what would have happened if, if he had been married, he wasn't concerned about that. But in this case, as snide as this sounds, it's not a snide comment. Uh, it's, it, it sounds like it to our English speaking ears, but to Greek speaking ears, it was just an idiom meaning acknowledged. These men were acknowledged as important, um, and so he's he's really agreeing that these are important guys in the church. These are guys that we should be listening to. These are guys that really what he's saying is if you had gotten a message from uh, Peter, James, and John, you should have listened to it. The problem is, guys, y'all didn't get a message from them. Y'all are claiming their name to present your own false gospel is what he's accusing the Judaizers of. Um he says uh in the parentheses maybe it, it actually has parentheses in your bible what they once were makes no difference to me god does not show favoritism that literally is translated god does not accept the face of a man that's that's how he again greek idiom uh that's how we would uh translate it directly but we we translate the thought to show favoritism well what does he mean by that does not Except the face of a man. There are a few uh, possibilities here. First of all, the Judaizers were claiming their importance by their relationship to Peter, James, and John. And, and he's telling them, look, just because you claim a name doesn't really matter. Uh, just because you claim some importance because you knew so and so, even though you're lying about it, that doesn't really uh, make your message any more powerful. One of the things that uh, they... The, in the pseudepigrapha... If you want to learn a big word for the night... The pseudepigrapha... Pigrapha... Writings... Pseudah... Fake... The fake writings... Uh, there are plenty of... What some people would consider New Testament books... That claim the names of apostles... The... Uh, I think there's an Apocalypse of Peter... The Gospel of Thomas uh the gospel of judas uh, all these are pseudo pigrapha they're fake writings cuz those guys didn't write them but the reason that whoever wrote them put those guys names on them was what give them authority hey this was written by thomas so it must be true well what paul is saying here is just because your your name a name is on something just because you make a particular claim just because you say i'm important cuz i knew peter james and john doesn't mean anything God does not concern Himself particularly, is what He's saying, with who you knew, who know, or who you claim to be. But the second thing He's saying here: so, first, ignore the uh, the claims of these false leaders in your church in Galatia. Secondly, is position means nothing. Even if they knew them, even if everything they were saying was true, the position of these guys doesn't mean anything. There are three. Good Old Testament verses that we can, uh, we can flip through right quick that show us that. Uh, the first one is Psalm 51 verses 16 through 17. And all of these are gonna show some different aspects of it. Uh, Amos particularly is gonna talk about wealth not making you, uh, any, of any importance. Psalm 51 16 through 17. Says uh, you do not want a sacrifice, or I would give it. You are not pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humble heart, God. So outward activity is not indicative of authority or favor with God, or uh, right standing, or right status, or good teaching, or anything like that. God looks at the heart. Amos three these little bitty books 3 13 through 15 listen and testify against the house of jacob this is the declaration of the lord god the god of armies i will punish the authors of uh, altars of bethel on the day i punish israel for its crimes the horns of the altar will be cut off even the altar will have its problems and fall to the ground i will demolish the winter house and the summer house The houses inlaid with ivory will be destroyed. The great houses will come to an end. This is the Lord's declaration. How many of us in this room have both a summer house and a winter house? I do not. I have one house. Uh, Most of us only have the one house. It's extreme wealth that has multiple homes. What he's saying is their status, uh, financial status, does not give them any sort of uh one up on anybody else. so uh, just that's what he's talking about here, destroying those houses and then lastly Leviticus 19 chapter 19 verse 15 do not act unjustly when deciding a case. Do not be partial to the poor or give preference to the rich. Judge your neighbor fairly. Again, God does not. He commands us throughout Scripture: don't favor one person over another. Um, Don't uh, offer help, or you know that passage even says, "Don't don't pity the poor more than you should, but don't lean toward the rich more than you should." Uh, I, I can't, you know, every pastor on the in the ministry for two months or more. Has heard, well, now you can't upset those people, they're good tithers. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that already here in a year. Uh, yes, it, people still say that sort of thing. Okay. But rich people can be wrong too. You know, that's, and so can poor people. And we, God does not look, does not show favoritism, therefore the church should not show favoritism. Paul was not impressed by resumes and, and who knew whom uh, and that's what he's saying here now the third option here is that Paul could also be talking about his own physical appearance it is, it's said uh, it's possible that Paul was not very pretty uh, <clears throat> that he was not a great speaker um, it, it, it's I mean some people have taken that to the extreme and said he was deformed in some way now, if you read later on uh, in other letters where he uh, recounts all the things he went through, I bet he was deformed. But I don't think it was because it was born. He was born that way. It was because he is beat that way. Uh, you get enough stonings, enough canings, enough shipwrecks, you start leaning over and you start hobbling around. And and you know I'm working on that. And I've never been beat or shipwrecked. Uh, it just some of it just comes as you get on up there, right? None of y'all know what I'm talking about, but, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. So, it could be that. E- either way, Paul is letting, letting the church in Galatia, the people in the pews say, don't be amazed. Don't be taken away. Don't be swept away by who you think is leading you. Who, who has the best idea? Even if they come and say, I'm from so and so. Because even when I went to Jerusalem, I met with the the acknowledged leaders, but their place did not matter. God is the only one that matters. God is who we live to please. God is who we listen to. And then uh, what happened or what didn't happen uh, or, or what did did not happen is they added nothing uh, to what he was doing. Now, an astute reader of the Bible will say, but Michael didn't they add taking care of the poor in verse 10? Because you just want to make an argument. That's all right. We can do that. Uh, and then you'll you'll read on from uh, this. You'll go back to Acts chapter 15 and you'll say, didn't they add four things in Acts 15, 29? And, and just for fun, let's go back and I'll read you those four things that they added in Acts fifteen twenty nine. Unless somebody can just quote it for me right quick. Yeah, me either. Um, verse 29, that you abstain from food offered to idols, from blood, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. There, was, there were some requirements that later on the church put on there. So uh, the church in Jerusalem put on mission efforts. That's true. But uh, if we can move on forward a little bit, please, ma'am, thank you. Next one. And one more. Yes, but uh, first of all, these are two different accounts, or accounts of two different meetings. Acts 11 and Acts 15. This that Paul is talking about in Galatia is talking about the Acts 11 meeting when he took the offering to Jerusalem, uh, the the love offering for the famine. Uh, and went with Barnabas. That's the first thing. So we're talking about two different meetings. The, the Acts 15 meeting was a, a later meeting that Paul took. So Acts 15, where they added those four things, actually probably took place um, past that. Uh, Galatians was written after that Acts 15. If you could bump us, bump us ahead too, please, ma'am. One more. That's where we are. Uh, Acts 15 happened after Galatians had been written. So when Paul writes to Galatians, no, they hadn't added anything. Uh, and even if we consider Acts 11, uh, I mean, or rather uh, what he says here in verse 10, care for the poor, and those four things in Acts 15, he adds nothing, they added nothing to the gospel. So he's saying, sure, they added, you know, they may have added some some ethical uh Requirements or some practical things that they should do. And that's really what this is. Uh, in Acts 15, that was dealing with appropriate missions to the Jews. If you do those things among the Jews, those, those four things I talked about, don't eat food to idols, blood, strangled animals, and sexual immorality, particularly if your mission is to the Jews, you're going to lose the mission to the Jews. Uh, you don't... If your call is uh, to the, a Muslim mission field, you don't go and have a pig roast. I mean, that's basically what he, but Paul is saying there. Don't get out of the culture and offend the people that you're trying to reach by doing things they find offensive, whether they're wrong or not. Don't do it. So all of the additions that he made or, or the, the leaders made were not adding to the gospel. And again, that's his point. The gospel that I shared with Peter, James, and John is the same gospel that I've been preaching for the 14 years, 17 years, whatever it is, when you add up the numbers, since my conversion. No different, nothing outside of the ordinary. So what did happen is verses 7 through 9. So he's given us the negative, what did not happen. Verses 7 through 9 tell us the positive. He says, on the contrary... They saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised, since the one at work in Peter, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, you know, uh, for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. Saying there, he, they saw the Holy Spirit in him. When James, Cephas, and John, those recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me, excuse me, to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised. So, verse seven he makes clear: same gospel. I am preaching the same gospel that they preached. This circumcised, uncircumcised was really just two different spheres of mission work. They would go to the Jews specifically in in Jerusalem. They would uh, reach out to the Jews, and Paul would go to the Gentiles. That's that's the way it worked out. Verse eight. It talks about uh, uh, Peter uh, and rather Paul and Peter were recognized as leaders of the church early in the uh, the church. They were considered the leaders of the church. You you had these two guys, uh, Peter in Jerusalem, Paul everywhere else, based in Antioch, but to the Gentiles, and they were held up. As a matter of fact, tradition says they were executed on the same day. we don't know if that's true or not. There's no record of it, but it's just that's how it was passed down through the years. But because of these two guys, these two leaders in the mission movement, there were two major missional thrusts. And that was by necessity. It was a practical necessity. Again, if we go back to chapter 15 of Acts and we, those four things that it talked about, uh, no no food, idols, no blood, no strangled Animals and no sexual immorality. That was the oh the the requirements really for mission work among the Jews. And if you went to uh, reach Gentiles, well, you want to abstain from sexual immorality anyway. That's you know, kind of Paul has to get into that if you remember with the Corinthian church where they, he was writing to really a bunch of, of Greeks, a bunch of Gentiles who were. Having some issues with bringing some of that into the church, and he said, "No, no, 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 no it doesn't he doesn't go on here either." But he also talked about eating meat to idols. You know that it, it's we're free to do that. If it offends your brother, don't. But so for the sake of the mission, you might not want to. But it's okay to do it. Practical necessity. Do not do it if you're reaching Jews. Like I said, you don't you don't plan a neighborhood a uh, uh, pig roast in 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 a Muslim neighborhood or a Muslim country and expect well I'm just trying to be friendly no you're not you are offending everybody there to a great degree you do not have any more uh, uh, opportunity to to preach the gospel to them because of of what you've done so they had a very focused ministry practically by necessity, but that necessity focused them greatly we can learn something from that. Um, there are two schools of thought in church planting. One is, what is your niche for your church? Who are you going to go after? The other is, you want to go after everybody. Both are true. Both are something you have to consider. Um, Niche churches... Uh I know a guy who has uh who planted a church. It's called Neartown Church, and it's the neartown area of Houston. It seems downtown to me, but it, it's not downtown, it's near town. Eh. It's condos and apartments that are four or five blocks from downtown. And he's he's doing really well, and there are a number of churches that are planted inside loop six ten in Houston, uh, around downtown. He's kind of a niche church because there's a certain socioeconomic group that lives primarily in the near town area of Houston. They're, like I said, they're, they're condos, they're lofts, they're, they're up, uh, high-end apartments, it's upwardly mobile, business types, that's who lives there. So he has a niche church just by, by location, by necessity. So when he plans his church, when they look at what they're going to be doing, when he put the idea on paper, he had to look at it in light of where he lived and and that niche. But he also wants to reach everybody he can. Well, that's that's what we have to do. Uh, In our area, it might not be necessary that we have... I don't know an African language service. How many people do we have that are moving in from some African countries up uh, uh, that wouldn't be necessary, right? We don't have that niche here, but we do have a lot of other people I mean as 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 uh, Donald talked about this morning and as sulfur grows, we are getting to be a very very diverse community. Uh, i'm I'm anxious to see what the 2020 census is going to hold for uh, uh, different ethnicities, different nationalities in the Sulphur sulfur area. Uh, I don't know, I think I've mentioned this before, but did y'all know, you probably didn't unless I told you, we've got two Japanese families in our Mother's Day Out program. Uh, we have one Pakistani family, correct? At least we did last year uh, in our Mother's Day Out program. The Japanese children... They didn't speak English. We were instant English as a second language classes uh, for our two and three year olds, I believe is where they were. Um, so that's that's already that's coming to our doors. Uh, and, and and we didn't we didn't advertise for that. We didn't go out and get them and, and, and look for internationals, but they're coming. That's an opportunity. So while we may not be a niche, is that someone we need to witness? Uh, clearly, that's somebody we need to witness to. But do we need to start rethinking our ministries? But we can't do everything. And this is where that focused ministry comes into play. That's why I say we could learn something. We can't we 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 can't shotgun ministries out here because we don't, if we don't have the resources, I mean Trinity first moss bluff sure they have the resources that they can do some shotgun some some shotgun ministries and a little here and little there and little there but smaller churches 250 people we need to be very focused on what we do and and so that's what we can learn even even churches like nixon where i was we i would often try to do too much get the church to go too many different directions and, and we just couldn't. You, you have to stay within yourself. That's what we see them, uh, them working toward here. Peter going after, uh, and Peter, James, and John going after the, the Jewish nation. Paul, Barnabas, Silas, others going after, uh, the, uh, Gentile nation. So, let's learn that. But, and there's always a but, right? There wasn't a clear line of demarcation here. Paul went to the synagogue first every town he went to. His heart, if you read Romans, his heart was for the Jews. He would give up his own salvation, he said, if he could, for the Jews, for his brothers, the Jews, to be saved. Because he, he went to his he, he, who he was closest to, his, his family as he saw it, first but he knew his calling was to a particular area. As a church, we need to understand that our calling is to a particular area. How do we reach sulfur and the overflow of that? And, and, and we continue out. How do we reach Louisiana and the uttermost? But we nuance and we we mold and we purify our ministry so that we're reaching... Uh, who we're called to reach and who we're uh, equipped to reach. So anyway, this this dual—I think I chased a rabbit there. Uh, this dual uh, focus, Paul and Peter showed them again, though, that the gospel was the same, even though they were reaching two different groups, two very distinct groups, two groups that you would reach in different ways and had to consider had to have, had to have different considerations in order to reach same gospel. The gospel did not change. Methods changed. Uh, What you ate, where you went, how you looked, etc. Those might change depending on where you are. But the gospel never changed. He calls them pillars uh, in verse 8. James, Peter, John, these are the uh, leaders. James, this is the... Uh, brother of Jesus. John is the author of the, the Gospel of John. Of course, we know who Peter are. These leaders... Uh, now, why did he call them leaders? What were they pillars of? That's a question we want to ask here. They could reference in uh, the end times. He could have been making a, a, a view toward the end here because the apostles will be judges, depending on how you interpret Revelation. Uh, the, the twelve apostles will serve as judges in the new heaven and the new earth. Don't know how that's going to work, but it's pretty clear that uh, that was there's some intention there for the apostles in eternity. James, in Acts 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 16, speaks of God rebuilding the tent of David. And possibly Paul is calling these guys the pillars, the posts, of that tent as as God re, rebuilds it. Well, it's also possible that the early church, not Paul, Paul would not have liked this, uh, put Peter, James, and John in the position of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They kind of replaced their patriarchs with Peter, James, and John. The early church did. But that tends to give them too much of a role in salvation, and that's what Paul would not have agreed with. So when he calls them pillars... What he is saying is, these are the guys that lead the church. And these are the guys that are in charge of of Jerusalem. These are certainly guys that you should listen to. These are guys you should follow. These are guys you should pay attention to. When they write you letters, later on Peter would, and Peter would actually reference some of Paul's letters in the letter that uh, Peter wrote. When they write you letters, listen to them. But again, he's going back to, and and he is reminding them because as they read this letter to the church in Galatia you know it hadn't been months for them it's just been a few minutes since he told them if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received a curse be on him so they're thinking that right now as he says these are pillars and they and they were leaders of the church but and and we had the same gospel but if they did not their pillarship Their leadership is nothing if they are going to preach a different gospel. Therefore, these guys that are preaching a different gospel to you right now should not be listened to. And he goes on to say in verse uh, verse nine, they gave him the right hand of fellowship. Uh, As what verse I said verse eight, I was wrong. I'm in verse nine. Gave him the right hand of fellowship. This is more than just agreement. This is more than just signing a compact or a, a handshake agreement. You know, we agree on this. This is the right hand of fellowship. Koinonia, 2 Corinthians 13, 13. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The koinonia of the Holy Spirit. There was an acknowledgement on their part that they were preaching the same gospel. And he said, calls it, acknowledge, he says, they acknowledged the grace that had been given to me. What is that grace? Well, is this... Christian attitude in the discussion. How many of y'all, let's see, about half of y'all just looking around are on Facebook. Probably more of you, but about half of you are actually regularly involved. How many of you have seen, I won't ask you how many of you have seen a civil conversation because I guess occasionally there has been one, but how many of you have seen Facebook conversations just throw up all over your computer screen because of the anger and the the uh, misrepresentation and the misunderstanding am I the only one that's seen that okay a few a handful of you have to okay good um, there's not much grace on social media uh, often when it comes to discussing any sort of hot topic uh, and it can be a religious hot topic it can be a political hot topic it doesn't really matter Paul could have had that attitude this could have been a Facebook argument if he with Peter James and John had he wanted it to be but he is grateful that when he got there there was grace. For him, there was a Christian attitude in the discussion, both from Peter, James, and John, and from Paul. Now, if you read on in Acts, Paul's later on going to confront Peter about something and tell him to his face. We're going to talk about it. Tell him to his face, you were wrong for this. Could have been another blow up, and yet God's grace continued to work. So, is this grace that he's talking about? This uh, they acknowledged the grace that had been given to me. Was it that? I think that's part of it. Was it the gospel? Uh, that he laid out. Certainly he preached the gospel of grace. That, that was part of it. Uh, was it evidence in his signs, miracles, and, and all the, the new believers that had come to Christ because of Paul? That grace? I, I think so. But prim- primarily he's talking about the grace that he preached. They acknowledged again that their salv, their, their gospel message was the same gospel message. And then verse 10, the last verse in this section where he, uh, uh, ends this discussion of this visit. Verse 11 is when he opposes Peter to his face. He tells, uh, the verse says, They only asked that we would remember the poor, which I had made every effort to do. Um, I believe this is still a requirement. This is still a request from Peter, James, and John for our church today. Uh, not a requirement for their accepting his gospel. If if you help the poor, then we'll accept your gospel. It wasn't that kind of thing. They were merely sharing a need. In this day and time, poverty was a huge deal in the early church. Just look at what we talked about a couple of Sunday mornings ago, that they were selling everything in the brand new church that they had just started. Folks were selling land and stuff to help people that were uh, in in poverty, to help those in need. And it's over and over and over we see... Throughout the gospel messages helping the poor, we, uh, we hear about the poor and the need of the poor, and it's still an issue today. Uh, then it was famine and war and overpopulation and persecution for the church could take, you could lose your livelihood. Um, you could, you could be kicked out of the guilds, the, uh, the, uh, unions that they had because you no longer worshiped the gods because they get together I think I talked about this one Sunday. that The guilds would get together and have uh, pagan orgies. And that's how they did business. And they'd make business connections at these pagan orgies. And Christians who were in the business world would uh, obviously wouldn't want to go and take part in those things. They'd get kicked out, so they'd lose their entire career because they became a Christian. So poverty was a big deal. Um, poverty still a big deal. We still have the poor among us. Jesus told us we would, but that didn't mean we don't help them and we don't do something for them. And in this, helping the poor, very likely non-Christians were helped. Uh, we, we saw that again when we looked at the last few verses of Acts, that uh, their their love and their compassion for each other, which is probably the, the focus here, the poor in the church. But that relationship bled over Outside the walls of the homes where they were meeting, and they became they they were a missionary people just by their love and their concern for the poor. And we talked about the, how they were adopting abandoned children, abandoned Roman children, and bringing them to the bringing them into uh, families in the church. So Paul says all of this wraps up this meeting with uh, James, uh, Peter, James, and John to let them know, hey. The gospel, I mean this is, this is the message of this passage. The gospel we preached is the same. If they are telling you, if you are claiming to have a message, a gospel that is clearly different from mine, and you're saying you're getting it from Peter, James, and John, you're lying. Because I know for a fact we preach the same gospel. Here is the account of what, how it happened. When it happened and when we came to this. So he's just, he's just warming them up again to continue to tell them later on. Do not listen to these false leaders. Church, do not listen to false leaders. Don't, uh, I was amazed today on Facebook. I hadn't paid a lot of attention and I guess that was good. The number of people that now are determined that tomorrow's eclipse and I hope nobody in here has shared this because I'm about to blow it out of the water. Um, tomorrow's eclipse portends some great cosmic spiritual God ordained happening. What it's saying is God created the universe and He set it up this way and it's, it's happening again. This eclipse that happens about 18, every 18 months. Um, and if you've, and please, if you've seen it, please don't share it. In seven years, there's going to be another eclipse. Have you all seen this? It's going to cross the U.S. and it's going to go up uh, through Texas. It's going to be deep in the heart of And it's going to go across. And as a matter of fact, Carbondale, Illinois is is in the crosshairs. The eclipse is going to cross through Carbondale, Illinois this year. And in seven years, it's going to cross through Carbondale again. They are doubly blessed, right? Um, and people are saying because those two eclipses make the shape of a cross and they happen seven years apart from each other. And I'll stop there because it's just... You know what it is? It's the eclipse. that's happened for thousands of years and we, you know, and every 18 months we get one, somebody gets one somewhere in the world and that's all it is. So, false leaders, that's my point. False teachers, you're gonna hear about it. If you pay attention to John Hagee out of San Antonio, I guarantee you he will be talking about this for the next seven years. Please don't listen. Um, Jesus may come back tomorrow in the middle of the eclipse. That's fine. But it's not because there was eclipse. an eclipse, it was because Jesus said he was coming back. All right, so that's uh, that's my Don't Listen to False Teachers uh, segment tonight. Any questions? I actually left you time for questions. I talked fast because this was a big section and I wasn't sure we'd get through it all. Anything? All right, I told you when we started this, we're going to be diving deep into these scriptures. I know, I, I, it looks like on some of your faces, I'm thinking... Okay, their gospel is the same. Michael, move on. No, 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 no. We're we're going deeper than that. We're we're going to be analyzing what Paul said. We're we're going to be looking at this stuff because, as I've said before, the letters, especially every phrase, is pregnant with theology and meaning for us. Paul didn't waste a word. The Holy Spirit through Paul didn't waste a word. So we're going to spend time looking at these uh, in depth. No questions. No comments? Nothing to add? All right. Well, let's pray. And we'll go. Lord, we thank you that you have uh, confirmed your gospel down through the ages. At, at, At every point where one false teacher would say this and another would say that, you have used your word, you have used your apostles to confirm the gospel that we have, every Every time somebody says, "Oh, the Bible doesn't say that," and we find an older manuscript that proves, "Yes, yes, it did." God, you, you, by your divine sovereignty and your divine will, have, have preserved your word for us today. And I thank you that that when we doubt and, and we do, uh, when we question and and we will, we can always go to your word, and we'll have Paul saying, "This is the same gospel they preached," and will hear him tell us again, if anyone preaches a different gospel, may they be a curse. There there is no slight change to your gospel, Lord. There is only the gospel, and everything else is a perversion and a heresy. And we thank you for the power of that gospel that that changes the hearts of youngsters like we saw this morning with uh, uh, Emma and Audie coming forward to be baptized, and it changes the hearts of of uh, older folks, too. Justin wanting to follow in obedience, uh, having trusted you as Savior, your son as Savior. We thank you for the gospel, that the gospel is still powerful. And it is powerful for every age. Lord, we pray that we would uh, cast our net. We would launch out and cast that gospel. We would sow the seed of the gospel everywhere we go, generously, uh, just abundantly, And pray for the increase from you that uh, someone would water and someone else would harvest. And Lord, we pray for the the opportunity to water and harvest as well as you use us to reach the lost for you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for these people. Thank you uh, for placing us here in this town and giving us the mandate to go and make disciples. May we live up to that call in Jesus' name. Amen.